resorts, homes and a newly built hospital have been washed away. Communication is down all over the country. Everybody was just rushing up to the closest high point. I'm just holding on for dear life here. Pacific prepared. Pacific prepared. Pacific prepared. The warnings were going up. The extent to which people took heed of the warnings is another question. Very much a wake-up call. People were prepared and that's why we've got less lives lost than we could have had. People need to know what to do and it's not difficult. We provide the right information to people and they can act accordingly. Pacific Kissing Was. Pacific Pacific Ufala must prepare. Pacific prepared. Pacific prepared. Hello and welcome to Pacific Prepared, where the Pacific comes together to share information that can save lives, save loved ones, and save livelihoods. I'm Aaron Carney. Coming up this episode, how traditional knowledge and skills are helping save one of the Pacific's most vulnerable areas. Vanuatu churches stepping up to lead the way in disaster preparation for their communities. What to do if you are hit by a landslide or mudslip. And the deadly power of rumours during a disaster. Disasters may be inevitable, but the loss of your life, your family, your home, your land or your village are not. So, let's prepare. It was a terrifying night. It was shaking and getting pounded by debris. We had to make sure that they have a safe shelter and drinking water. Helping you stay safe, Pacific prepared. Everyone in the Pacific is vulnerable to disaster, but some people are much more vulnerable than others. Solomon Islands Remote Reef Island Group is under assault on many fronts. Severely affected by a storm surge and sea level rise, the Provincial Disaster Management Office has listed it as vulnerable to tsunami. They have poor communications infrastructure, little land for crops and gardens, and as a result, food insecurity threatens to leave people dangerously hungry. So preparation is everything. Pacific Prepared Solomon Islands correspondent Georgina Kakia reports on the many challenges of the Tomotu people and how they are meeting them. The outlying islands of Tomotu province are commonly known as the Reef Islands. It is a loose collection of 16 islands in the northwestern part of the Solomon Islands. These islands are mostly occupied by Polynesians many years ago. Very small islands, they don't uh, have gardens, they have very small spaces where they plant uh, banana. They have few breadfruit trees and other fruits, mostly coconut tree. And I think that's their main food. They live by this uh, fish and coconut. Edith Dagi works for the Temotu Provincial Council of Women. She is based in the provincial town Lata. She says the people of the Reef Islands are resilient people. Without access to radio, television, the internet, or even telecommunication, only by natural indicators and traditional way of living were they able to survive. How they study the weather pattern, how they use their skills for their safety, they support their house, they have their preserved foods prepared, yeah, in stock, I like that. But with the changing weather patterns, it is not as easy to predict storms as the forefathers used to. 
the indicators identified by communities are now not being reliable due to climate change. They say that sometimes they see the indicators, but then it, the weather is different from what they're expecting. Vatina Devesi is World Vision Operations Manager in Solomon Islands. She says a research on traditional knowledge was done by the Solomon Islands Met Services in Makira Province in 2018. Makira Province is also located in the eastern part of Solomon Islands. And now we're in the monitoring stage to monitor the indicators. The main findings from the survey was that communities that live further from the urban centers still do rely on traditional knowledge for forecasting weather compared to those living near to urban centers. The main hazards for communities in Solomon Islands are mostly cyclones, flooding, strong winds and storm surges. The communities are saying that when there's bad weather, their crops get destroyed. For instance, like the riverbanks are the fertile places, so that's where the communities grow most of their crops. But then when flooding comes, it takes the crops away. With this backdrop, one of the focus now when it comes to disaster preparedness is food security. Food drying is one of the oldest methods in the world to preserve food. This practice is not commonly used by people living on bigger land space and communities. Also under the AHP COVID response, World Vision is working more in the livelihood sector, um, mostly on food preservation, processing and preservation, and aquaculture and um, food gardening demonstration. So we have been involving the Ministry of Agriculture, uh, Ministry of Fisheries to support us with the technical skills of rolling those components out in the communities. But for the people of Temotu, Reef Islands, food preservation has been their way of life for a very long time. Being saltwater people, their livelihood mostly revolves around the sea and whatever plants they have on the island, mainly breadfruit, coconuts and bananas. So one good thing about Temotu, they preserve food, like uh, they preserve shell, clam shell, or even other shells too. Uh, they dried fish. That's how they preserve food for times uh, where they can't go and find food at sea because of the weather. For them, relocation is often seen as the only long-term solution and the people are hesitant to consider this option, even in the short term. One good thing about these people, you never heard them complain about hungry. I think uh, might the culture too. Edith Dagi of the Tomotu Provincial Council of Women, ending that report by Georgina Kakia in the Solomon Islands. By the way, that music is from a string band from the Reef Islands. Ten minutes after the earthquake, we had a loud bang and then just saw the sea rising up. Know what to do. Know what to do. Know what to do. Pacific Prepared. The Bible tells many stories of disaster. The most well-known, of course, being Noah's Flood. 
So in Vanuatu, Christian churches have come together with the support of the Australian Humanitarian Partnership to help congregations better prepare for disasters. Even though across the Pacific, churches have great respect and influence across large sections of the community, church leaders admit in the past they've not given disasters enough focus. This new program is changing that. It is a widespread cooperative effort to make sure congregations and communities know what to do in a disaster and react with a plan, not panic. Capital FM 107 Vanuatu's Heather Maraki reports from Port Vila. While the government and other organizations in Vanuatu are working to get people ready and prepared before any disaster happens, the Vanuatu Christian Council, a non-government organization made up of seven main churches in Vanuatu, is also using its network to work on a project to prepare churches before any disaster strikes. Uh, the current program, which we call it as a disaster ready, it is a program mainly to sort of in preparedness, in preparing the churches uh, for them to be able to respond, for them to be able to get ready. It's, uh, uh, it's a program which... Um, one of the Christian Council is um, carrying it out among the churches. The main purpose, the main reason for this program, or the objectives of this program is to, to ensure that we get people prepared. We get people prepared, know what to do, and what are their responsibilities, and to ensure that uh, nobody is left behind. So as you correctly mentioned in the introduction that uh, churches in the past had not been effectively involved in this area, in this sector. But as the situation goes, uh, the Vanuatu Christian Council have, have looked into, set himself into that area in order to sort of, because we are, even the government and other NGOs, we are working with the same population. And most of the church, most of the population of the people in Vanuatu goes to church, and it's that's why we call it as a Christian nation. And we found ourselves to be in a lot of places throughout the country. Our network reaches the whole country, so we come into understanding in a way that um, we cannot hold our back, we cannot hands and stand and see what, and wait for the government to respond to these uh, alarming needs. So because of that, the uh, Vanuatu Christian Council have come in to involve in this sector and this area, and especially to prepare the people in, uh, before the cyclone hits. Pastor Shem Tema, the secretary of the Vanuatu Christian Council, also talks about the ongoing programs carried out by VCC and the importance of integrating the theological understanding of disasters and preparedness. We have few programs that have been going on uh, currently. And in the past, we have been what we call preparedness. We prepared the judges so that um, they know exactly what to do, their responsibility. And even we get into getting into the area of trying to drills, carrying drills with them as well. So that uh, because you know during cyclone during this uh, um, the time where sometimes they, they they are panic and don't really know what to do. 
So the main purpose for this program is to, to get them ready. And when we talk about uh, preferring the, the, the people that in this nation, uh, in the churches, we are not just looking at going in there and saying, okay, we have to, to, to see how we can respond and then as a theory, but we also look at practical part of it. Even we have the food security section as well. And even we, we ensure that to get deep into that, we ensure that firstly, we want to get the churches know the theology of this, uh, of this, uh, the theology of, uh, of preparedness and all these programs. Because as you know, churches have different, uh, this different perspective of these programs. So for us to, to ensure that we get the churches involved, we also deal with the theology of disaster. Pastor Shem Tema, Secretary of the Vanuatu Christian Council, speaking with Capital FM 107's Heather Meraki about the disaster preparation efforts of churches in Vanuatu, supported by the Australian Humanitarian Partnership. During a series of meetings, the group has collaboratively decided upon four key messages for the campaign with supporting statements and biblical text. The messages will be shared in Bishlama across different platforms such as social media, television, radio, posters, music, even t-shirts and flags. We'll share more about the church's efforts, including how they believe disaster preparation is God's will and are taking that message to the community in an upcoming episode. Helping you stay safe. Pacific Prepared. According to the U.S. Geological Survey, a landslide is defined as the movement of a mass of rock, debris, or earth down the slope under the direct influence of gravity. The term landslide encompasses five types of slope movement, falls, tobbles, slides, spreads, and flows. Mudslides, as the name suggests in a landslide featuring mostly wet earth or mud, usually starting on a steep slope. Landslides are common in Pacific, particularly in mountainous and high rainfall areas. Heavy rains, droughts, earthquakes or volcanic eruptions can all trigger landslides. Here are some key tips for staying safe after a landslide. Stay away from where the land has slipped. Flooding or additional slides may occur after a landslide or mud flow. Do a head count to identify if anyone is missing. Check for injured or trapped people nearby, but do not enter the path of the landslide. If the level of the stream suddenly rises or falls, it may mean debris is on its way. Listen for rumbling sounds that might indicate an approaching landslide or mud flow. Be aware that roads may be blocked or closed due to landslide damage. If the landslide has entered a waterway, do not use contaminated water to make baby formula, make ice, brush your teeth or hands or rinse food. 
bottled or boiled water is safe. Make use of your go bag. Listen to receive emergency information and instructions from your battery-operated radio, social media, or mobile phone text alerts. Only take notice of official advice. Do not act on or spread rumors. Use text messages or social media to communicate with family and friends. Disasters destroy lives, homes, and livelihoods, so prepare now. Include everyone. Make it fun, and be prepared. This information has been compiled from multiple official government and non-government agencies across the Pacific and the world. Tonga correspondent and TBC Tonga reporter Anasiu Falakayono, helping you know what to do if you are in an area hit by a landslide. Be informed. Be ready. Pacific prepared. Imagine this. It isn't hard to do. You're lazing on a Sunday afternoon, scrolling Facebook, and you see a post by your cousin saying he heard that the main road into town from a nearby village has been reopened after flooding. Well, you know your auntie needs to get to town for a doctor's appointment, so you send her the post on WhatsApp. But when she arrives at the flooded road and attempts to drive through, her car washes away and she drowns. That is how misinformation can be deadly. You tried to help and someone died. So how do we make sure we don't share something that could hurt people before, during, or after a disaster, or during a pandemic. First Draft is a non-profit organization that works to protect communities from harmful disinformation by sharing tips and resources to build resilience and improve access to accurate information. It's Asia-Pacific Director Ann Kruger spoke with Pacific Prepared reporter Apelli Lala Nevesi and me and started by explaining what is misinformation and what is disinformation starting with misinformation this is basically i think mis mistake so misinformation mistake so this is when people share false information but they don't realize that it's false or misleading and quite often they're trying to help and you know we think about the motivations you know why are people doing this what's their intention sometimes it's just out of fear and quite often it's out of fear and they're trying to protect people in their community um you know they might send something well oh just in case you need to know um i'm sending this information to help you out and it's really related to our identities as well that you know we might be in a, a chat app or a group with our family and friends and this is the role that we play we're trying to to help um, we're not trying to cause harm but often we do see a lot of harmful misinformation spreading throughout um, these chat apps in particular related of course recently to covid so what is the difference between uh, misinformation and disinformation 
misinformation, that's kind of like a misinformation mistake. But with disinformation, that's D for deliberate for me. That's how I remembered it when I first came across all of these different definitions. So disinformation, this is when people intentionally are creating a false um, or misleading narrative or, you know, sharing information. And they're motivated quite often to make money, they might be wanting political influence or some other ideological influence. And sometimes they're just maliciously trying to cause trouble or harm, trying to sow distrust. They're trying to dictate a particular agenda. And because they've got that different intention, um, we know that this is designed to do harm and um, is just that little bit more dangerous up front. But we've found with the pandemic that both a mixture of misinformation and disinformation is dangerous because sometimes people will pick up on the disinformation, not realise, you know, that it's incorrect and then they're sharing it out of, um, you know, good intentions and they're really making a mistake. So we've found that more and more these two different definitions that we had very clearly sort of divided have actually become more and more interwoven during the the pandemic. So Anne, if I'm scrolling through my mobile phone in Vanuatu or the Solomons and checking out the social media, what does misinformation and disinformation look like on a daily basis? So misinformation we're finding in particular when people are scrolling through their social media apps, we're finding that a lot of things are getting shared that are easily, you know, copy and paste messages. Oh, I saw this, um, pass it on. And the misinformation is it's often information that's just not accurate when it came to the pandemic and when it came to vaccines, when it comes to health information. So it was often things that were questioning um, the reliance of government and authorities, questioning uh, safety and efficacy of things like vaccines, and really relying on sharing information about those particular issues that just wasn't accurate. It was looking accurate. You know, a lot of the information that's that's getting shared, um, you know, it looks like it's here's something you need to know, information that um, you need to share. You know, this is why we can't trust different governments. Not necessarily, you know, information that people are sharing that's designed to wage a campaign against a particular person, um, but it's just very subtle. So we so we find with um, the anti-vaccination proponents, we find with anti-lockdown movements and things, they're all starting to mix in their narratives together. And they are very organised online with their smaller groups. They might have a lot of smaller groups. Some of them have got large groups. Um, but they're so organised online and they get their narratives and they know what to share and they know how to tap into those emotions. And it's when those little bits of narratives get picked up and shared by different people that this is what's swirling around. Now, in particular, in the Pacific, we were seeing examples as well coming from sometimes health, uh, people that work in health that were sharing misinformation. 
they they had their own doubts. They didn't know what was happening. We had um, different political figures as well that were sharing misinformation because, again, you know, well, we don't know exactly what was driving this. Um, you know, obviously they've got their own political persuasions and want to look like they're in control, but they were sharing um, information that wasn't scientifically sound. We saw a lot of that and we saw a lot, of course, of, um, you know, local culture, you know, in particular if you're looking at places like in Papua New Guinea, there was a lot of um, misinformation being shared because you've got, you know, the local witchcraft concerns, you know, in the, in the more um, sort of remote regions there. So, it, yeah, it, it's really a case of often when I talk about disinformation, I'm thinking, right, this is a campaign. You've got bots, you've got, um, you know, troll farms, you've got people really attacking. And in this case, it, it's been really more a matter of um, people that are of a particular persuasion, you know, they they might be against vaccines and they're sort of pushing out where they can um, misinformation relying on dodgy science. Um, but but for our areas and, and in the Pacific, um, it was much more people are just fearful and hesitant and they're not getting access to the information that's easy for them to understand. So you might have messaging that's coming from governments, but if it's not clear and if it's not precise and if it's not easy to understand then what takes over is the very clear unfortunate messaging that can be shared in in different you know um, whether it's whatsapp messages or closed you know facebook messenger the messages that are sent there really appeal to people's emotions and that hesitancy and unfortunately that's what sticks in their brains how can uh, an individual recognize what is misinformation and disinformation and why does it matter? Have a look and, and do a check. And are my emotions being triggered here? So if it's a message, if I'm starting to feel quite nervous, fearful, a lot of anxiety or even anger towards governments, there's a, a place and a time that we need to really sort of stop and think, okay, what is this telling me? how am I feeling? That's a really good place to start. Then we need to look at the sources of the information. So is this really coming from an authentic source? Is it really coming from the World Health Organization? Is it really coming from, you know, government health ministries? Is it really coming from quality science? First up, just look at look at the emotional response and really think about what's the source of this information. Is it is it really um, that reliable source of information that is being that has to be held to account currently to government and to the people? And that's that's the information that you're wanting. So misinformation is wrong information that someone has mistakenly thought was right. Disinformation is wrong information that someone is sharing to fool you. Both can be deadly. So think, what are you telling the people you love on social media and in message groups? First Drafts Asia-Pacific Director Anne Kruger speaking with Pacific Prepared reporter Apelli Lalanavesi and me. We will continue that conversation in an upcoming episode, including how some evil people use disasters to trick you into believing dangerous lies.
Pacific Prepared is supported by the Pacific Media Assistance Scheme with funding from the Australian Government's Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade. Any views expressed here do not necessarily represent those of PACMAS or the Australian Government. It is produced and distributed in partnership with Radio Australia and networks across the Pacific, including Radio New Zealand Pacific, NBC Papua New Guinea, Palau Wave Radio, Capital FM 107 Vanuatu, FBC Fiji, Samoa National Radio 2AP and TBC Tonga. Consider starting a conversation with your family, your community, your co-workers and think seriously about creating a go-bag. We want to help you make the next disaster less disastrous. Thank you to our guests, correspondents and contributors, government and non-government agencies who provided emergency and disaster information and support. And thank you for listening. My name is Aaron Carney. We'll be back soon with another episode. In the meantime, please stay safe, share what you have learned here, and together we will help get the Pacific prepared.